Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Way With Noah. You guys are actually getting multiple episodes in the next 24 hours for me. Um, but this conversation took place yesterday. Um, I had the opportunity to talk with Rebecca Vilkemerson, who is Executive Director of Jewish Voices for Peace. I really appreciate Rebecca for carving out time to speak with me. Um, and obviously the resolution um, came down today in Congress and for some, it is is considered a victory in the sense that it wasn't solely about uh, Representative Ilhan Omar. It included a lot of other broad language. And it also generally talked about anti-Semitism, but did not have a more restrictive definition of anti-Semitism as utilized by particular um, entities that would specifically claim that talking about APAC or Israel is anti-Semitic. So in some respects, that is a win. Um, but I'm very disturbed by this conversation that we're continuing to have and how it's being positioned that Ilhan is being anti-Semitic in the way that she talks about whether it's the, the notion of dual allegiance. And I can understand how people could feel offended or that it could trend a certain way for people who don't really understand the politics and what's being discussed and involved. I do find it particularly problematic when, when, when elected officials are claiming that she said more than what she actually said. Like people are saying things like she's, what she said was wrong or was offensive. I mean, seriously, I think as, an, as a U.S. citizen, as an elected official, having a conversation about what we are seeing in terms of uh, legislation that seeks to prevent boycott, divestment, sanctions, BDS regarding Israel there is some language in these different bills that we've seen all across the country. Um, there have been numerous attempts in terms of the Senate and the House in terms of actually passing such legislation that do elevate the 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 considerations um, and the interests of another country over the constitutional rights of American citizens. That is not saying challenging that is not saying that it's okay to attack or do anything against the Jewish people, I mean, conflating these things is, is, is a problem. It's it's doing one of the generalizations people keep saying that we're not supposed to be doing, right? Um, and there are plenty of people who are pro these bills um, who are not of the Jewish faith. There are plenty of people who are pro-Israel or pro-APAC who are not Jewish. So to criticize and have discussions about these entities and the issues that are, you know, that prevent us from actually having honest discourse and good faith arm-length conversations about um, what does a free Palestine look like? What does having, you know, an equitable resolution to uh, something that has been going on for, for more for many of us more than longer than we've been alive in terms of, you know, can there be, quote unquote, peace in the Middle East? Like we have to be able to have real conversations. And I think that, you know, as we call out the issues of other countries like Saudi Arabia, you know, this all has to be put in perspective. I mean, right now, Saudi Arabia has um, what it has an app through Google or, or not through Google, but there's the app that is tracking women and 
that's a problem and it should be called out. I mean, we shouldn't we shouldn't be telling people not to say anything about it because, um, you know, Saudi Arabia is an ally or whatever. That's ridiculous. And I think that when we now have this conversation happening where we have the right positioning itself as if they have the moral authority, when you have Trump talking about how Ilhan Omar needs to resign, let's not forget this is a man who ran on racist, homophobic, Islamophobic, uh, xenophobic language, right? And has continued to institute some of the worst policies that we have seen in the modern era is now saying that she shouldn't be on the Foreign Services Committee, that she shouldn't even be in Congress. And we have others who have done similarly heinous things. We have people who have openly supported white nationalists and white supremacists, you know, acting like Ilhan is the problem. And for Democrats to take a stance, you know, as if they're the, as if they have to fight, it's the same type of nonsense we see every time the Democrats try to jockey with Republicans for moral high ground and they do it at the expense of marginalized people. We saw this with the war on drugs, right? And so we're also seeing this pattern of the willingness to throw women of color, black women in particular, under the bus when it suits the white establishment and their sensibilities. And that's what we're seeing happen right now with Ilhan Omar, who is a black woman, who is a refugee, who comes from a country that has been, um, you know, neglected by the world, who, who is Muslim. The Islamophobia and the rise of Islamophobia in the past 17, 18 years cannot go um on it, it can't go it we, we can't ignore it right and, and so in that respect that there is a call for you know the people in congress to adhere and understand and reflect on that hate is bad i mean yeah like duh it, i mean what is this it sounds like a resolution for like you know a kindergarten class like i'll be nice to my friends like we need real teeth and the fact that this comes with ilhan and not any of the other extremely racist problematic white supremacist laden decisions comments, actions that have happened from the president, from other members of Congress is really disconcerting. And I was really glad to see Congresswoman Karen Bass, as well as Congresswoman Waters, just like, like, like pause. Um, Cause you know, there's so much that happens in terms of democracy on the backs of black women. And, you know, we're standing up and saying like this bridge called my back is closed. We're not, we're not tolerating this. So to see Megan McCain crying about, um, crocodile tears and we know we know how dangerous white women's tears have been to us historically and continue to be the weaponization of white women's tears is a serious issue like Megan McCain is like someone tweeted out earlier where was she when 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 people were chanting with tiki torches talking about Jews will not replace us like there is literal there is very violent open aggressive hatred anti-blackness anti-semitism islamophobia xenophobia homophobia there's like there's really there's there's really a scourge happening and growing and being nurtured and having a really serious proximity to power in this country right now and folks are worrying about both sides in all of this and i think that we need to have a real step back and a discourse about what is going on when we're talking about these anti-bds laws you don't have to be pro-bds to understand the problem with these laws that's just real and I've talked to folks, and actually, if someone is a professor out of Boston, I actually need to bring on. Um, he's Jewish, and we've talked about this like briefly in passing. That there is actually a ground. It's not you're either anti BDS or pro BDS, and some folks may disagree. But I was really interested actually hearing his conversation about what middle ground that actually exists between the two, right? But my my understanding of BDS 
boycott, divestment sanctions comes from uh, my memories as a child of what worked in terms of South Africa and external economic pressure that was put upon the country. I remember as a kid, we did not do Reeboks. We did not do Coca-Cola because they supported South Africa. And I knew enough of, as a little kid about what that meant to understand why we didn't have those things. Um, I also, you know, a little bit, oh, as a little bit of an older child, uh, on a different, the episode of A Different World where, where Kim Reese and, and Rebecca and I talk about this a little bit, where Kim Reese gives up her scholarship and her internship with the Orange Glow Company because they had not divested from South Africa. And that actually episode like puts in a lot of conversation about the way marginalized peoples here are actually, in, at times, our economic needs and concerns are pitted against those of our brothers and sisters across the diaspora and abroad. And so I am turning you over to our conversation with Rebecca. I mean, I really appreciate folks who have been like taking a stand and putting their own, you know, necks on the line. There's so many organizations, progressives who have come together over the past several days to really push and demand and hold space for Ilhan in a very meaningful way. I mean, empower change, um, Jewish Voices for Peace. I mean, there, there's I signed um, a petition myself from If Not Now, which is a progressive Jewish organization. Um, and so with, uh, led by young American Jews. So, I mean, there is a lot that is happening and I, I've actually had to like sit and listen, you know, if you guys heard my episode from like two weeks ago, when this first was an issue, um, with Alex coach, we talked about, um, Alex Koch, we talked about, you know, Ilhan Omar, a piece he did at the time and, and the anti-Semitism allegation, and while it is definitely something that we need to be very conscientious of and listening to, I mean, we also need to have a very honest conversation. And I wrote a piece about this a couple of years ago in Progressive Army when um, Keith Ellison was running for DNC chair about the way in which allegations of being anti-Semitic are weaponized against bold, progressive black voices, bold, radical black voices. We saw this most recently with uh, Mark Lamont Hill and Angela Davis. Uh, we saw this in the 2016 cycle with Donna Edwards and uh, uh, Dwight Bullard, and then as well as Keith Ellison when he ran for DNC chair. And just the vitriol. And you see the people that some some of these folks are very quick to call people anti-Semitic, but then they have very little energy for folks, you know, right wing evangelical Christians who are fueling some of the worst hatred, who themselves are anti-Semitic, but then they'll switch it up and play nice, you know, to be able to get to speak at APAC or to be able to leverage, you know, support of Israel for whatever personal, um, you know, agenda they have. And so when we're talking about these organizations and entities, I mean, I think, and this is a lesson that I learned from the initial conversation about Ohana, so we need to be very precise with our language. And I know that has been a critique from some, you know, folks on the left and in progressive spaces that maybe that she could be more precise with her language. Um, I'm not here to tone police this. Uh, I don't see what's wrong with what she said, but at the same time, I am opening to listening, learning to learning, like how we can be better about language, because I really do think the most important thing is making sure that we can actually have these dialogues. And I really do feel like the way in which Nancy Pelosi and um, well, really more so uh, actually Debbie Washington Schultz and others have kind of did this both sides like, well, I mean, she should watch what she speak, says, because then if she didn't say this type of stuff that's really bad, then this other Islamophobic stuff would never happen to her. Like, there's almost a victim blaming, right, in some of the comments that have come out. And I think we need to be very real that if she were not who she is, this would not be the, the, the production that it has been. 
it is very easy because black women, and particularly with her not being American-born, she's expendable and disposable. But we are here to let everyone know, and that's why I'm so thankful for what has happened this week, that she's not disposable. None of us are. We are here. We're going to have these conversations. We're going to make people do this work. And if you want to get our vote, you better come correct. And I think we owe it to the people around us that we're in community with to actually have these honest conversations. Because I see folks saying like, well, what she said hurt me. And I'm like, well, why does it hurt you? Because what specifically did she say that hurt you? Or are you just looking at the headlines? Because the headlines and some of these columnists and the reductionist way that some of the politicians are talking about it is also part of the problem. It also feels the cycle of hate and belittlement that she under that she feels that Ilhan experiences, as well as the rest of us who are bold, progressive, BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, POC people, when we're speaking out on these things. So in the description of this episode is the Newsweek piece from Rebecca, as well as a piece on anti-Blackness within the anti-Semitism discourse, which is written by Devin Springer, a young writer um, who was based here in Atlanta, uh, who I absolutely admire and has really dug deep into some of this work. I am really excited because coming up in the next week, I get to meet um, one of the heads, one of the most amazing women, from Muslim ARC, Muslim Anti-Racist Coalition. So um, it's going to be pretty dope. And 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 I'm excited. Like I said, I, I get, get to talk to Rebecca Volkerberson in this episode, Jewish Voices for Peace. Some people may not like them. Some people may like them. I mean, just be open to learn and listen. I do think that there is a lot that we can converse and talk about. I think for, as progressives, as people who are trying to talk about the very real I mean, we're fun. We, we provide, as the United States of America, we provide financial compensation to another country's militaristic activity. Um, and, and there's also some issues with that in the way the military industrial complex works here in the United States. I'm never going to say, you know, I'm not going to say a lot of stuff because I'm not even, I'm not going to act like I have the geopolitical context to have these very deep and nuanced conversations like on a serious level. But I do know that wrong is wrong, and it's wrong to try and shut down any and all critique with this notion, this generalization that we're trying to destroy and undermine Jewish people. I I think it's just very wrong for that type of conversation to happen. And I think we need to come to terms and have real honest dialogue about why is it so threatening to um, to talk about the oppression of Palestinian people in a very frank manner in public without certain factions, whether it be those who are somehow directly connected to APAC or some other organization, getting really up in arms in response. Um, the Movement for Black Lives, various organizations have been have been called, Dream Defenders themselves, have been called anti-Semitic because of their work in solidarity with Palestinian peoples. And these are, I mean, this is the anti-Blackness I'm talking about. And so we need to have very real conversations because there are people that even though they are Jewish, they are still white people in America, and they still very much, you know, have the issues of white privilege and fragility. And there is a weaponization of power that happens against those of us from um, communities of color and marginalized backgrounds that we're seeing play out here with Ilhan Omar. But as she said, she survived literal war, so she's good. But sis, we got you. And so this is my interview with Rebecca Volkermerson. Shout out also real quickly to uh, Summer Lee, a representative from Pennsylvania. She hails from Pittsburgh area, who was getting hammered by the, the, the Pennsylvania GOP for also taking a stand in support of, of Ilhan. I mean, folks are at the state level all across the country are really standing up and saying, you know what? The GOP does far worse. 
they shield and, and, and support racist, xenophobic folks, folks who are anti-Semitic. And then all of a sudden now people want to play this nice people on both sides or bad people on both sides. All hate goes multiple ways. Nope. I'm not here for Megan McCain's. I'm not here for Megan McCain's tears. I'm not here for Liz Cheney, you know, stomping her feet, being upset about this revolution. Res- revolution. <laughs> we need a revolution. But resolution, I'm not here for any of it. So this is the conversation. I definitely am open to hearing people out on what they feel is language that is harmful. But I really do ask people to grapple with what is being said, like the literal words that are being said and the literal institutions that are being discussed. And these are not like soul Jewish institutions or spaces or, or I mean, even this conversation that's being had about her and Jewish people and dual uh, loyalty, everyone who backs these, these anti-BDS legislations are not Jewish. They're, like I said before, there's a large right-wing conservative Christian um, evangelistic presence in these spaces. Those people are being criticized too. There's not, it's not like Jewish members of Congress have been singled out by Ilhan. Un- unfortunately, though, she has been singled out as a black woman, as a Muslim woman, as a former refugee. She has been singled out and ostracized and alienated and attacked on numerous occasions. And that's just simply not okay. So Debbie Washman Schultz and other folks can get up there and pearl clutch all they want to. But at the end of the day, you're not standing strong against multiple industries and lobbies across the board. Greetings and welcome to a special edition of The Way with Fanoa. Thank you so much, guys, for checking in today. Um, I'm really honored to have Rebecca Volkomerson with me from Jewish Voices for Peace. Um, we are, she, she wrote a piece earlier this week. Um, I think actually it was yesterday in Newsweek about, um, uh, you know, basically talking about the issue around what we're seeing right now with Representative Ilhan Omar. The title is, I'm Jewish, and I find the hypocrisy of Republican Islamophobes hounding Ilhan Omar breathless. And Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you for the work. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Awesome. I I won't say what made you write this, but can you just talk to me a little bit about, like, your thought process and watching not just what we're seeing right now, but but even this whole since since Ilhan is in office, yeah. watching this unfold, the parallel between how she's been attacked and the really egregious Islamophobic, racist, misogynistic, like we're seeing this whole weird onslaught, right, of, of things yep. that we don't all see together. Um, yeah. And and at the same time, there are and and, and I'm not going to say that there that people do not have very real concerns. And you talk about this in your piece about how we have seen very real issues around anti-Semitism and and mm-hmm. and, and violent be, and aggressive behavior at, that's driven by that. But the parallel and the focus on Ilhan, when we have so many other things happening, not just as yeah. Told, but even in people you talk about, this is probably the first time in your lifetime that you've seen anti-Semitism have this proximity. Mm-hmm. That was a powerful line for me. Can you just talk to me just a little bit about, about that? And then also this parallel, what you're seeing with this kind of attack on Ilhan. Yeah. Okay. I have so much to say. I'll try to organize myself. The first thing I, I do want to make note of yeah. <laughs> is that the title of the piece was not my choice, as usual. The you know the editors made that, and I, I do want to note that the piece actually. What was your, not, so what would, what would you have preferred? Your, what was your preferred title? 
I didn't actually have a title. I didn't propose uh-huh. a title, which is probably a mistake. But I like I think the thing that I think about GOP Islamophobes is my piece talks a lot about the role of the Democrats in fomenting this. So I just like, you know, so I think that that's a, a really important piece is that one of the things that made me so upset and really made me feel like I had to write a piece was that it was members of the Democratic Party that were the ones who were bringing um, Omar up for this, you know, this this vote of censure uh, when actually at the exact same moment that she was facing incredibly intense Islamophobia and actually has ever since she came into office and even before, I'm sure. So I do think that's like in the Trump, and I would say Jewish Voice for Peace, you know, we're an organization inspired by Jewish tradition to work for the full equality of all people in Israel-Palestine. And within that mandate, we talk about in our mission about working against all forms of bigotry and racism, including Islamophobia, um, anti-black racism, anti-Semitism, you know, every form you can imagine as like part of our commitment to universal human rights. And I think we've also always felt a heightened commitment to work against Islamophobia, which comes out of our history as Jewish people who have faced um, discrimination um, because of our religion that, you know, that we have a sort of sense of increased responsibility to stand up for our Muslim brothers and sisters, who, especially since 9-11 in this country, face an incredible structural Islamophobia as well as personal Islamophobia. Um, so I think that has been like baked into the work we do for a long time. And we've been also talking about the like intersection between um, accusations of anti-Semitism and the way that they're used to silence the debate on Israel-Palestine with actual real anti-Semitism, which does also still exist for a long time. So we actually like self-published a book like back in the mid-90s, I think it was, or I guess maybe mid-2000s actually, um, around accusations of anti-Semitism and how they're used in the Israel-Palestine conversation. And last year we published a book with Haymarket again, about anti-Semitism and the struggle for justice in Palestine and how those things intersect. So like, you know, so it's sort of this happening to Ilhan Omar right now really like is an intersection of everything that we're thinking and talking about. And I think that um, there's also a notable thing like Ilhan, obviously she's black, she's a refugee, she's um, Muslim and she's hijabi wearing and she speaks out in favor of the boycott divestment sanctions movement on um, and on behalf of Palestinian rights. And so sort of the crosshairs of lots of different forms of discrimination and oppression. And I think it's also important to like note that in the last year in particular, a lot of really inspiring leaders of color have faced, um, you know, have faced um, a, a particular form of repression when they speak out on Palestine. So we saw that happen to Angela Davis. We saw it happen to Michael Lamont Hill. We saw it happen to Alexandra when she wrote a really powerful piece in the New York Times. And now we're seeing it happen to Ilhan Omar. So I do think, you know, the the attacks, I don't, and I don't think that's coincidental. I think that there's this sort of emerging coalition, progressive coalition that's integrating Palestinian rights into its agenda. Um, that is largely made up of women, people of color, and younger people. Um, and so, and that's, you know, and there's like a real generational fight happening where like the older, whiter people um, who have traditionally supported Israel, right or wrong, are facing this new progressive coalition. And like, that's why we're seeing so much foment right now, because there's like a real generational battle for, for um, you know, for for power and for influence. And I think that all intersects with, and then I'll stop for a second because I know that's a lot, with the Trump era, which is what you were talking about in that quote that you quoted from my piece, which is that things have changed since Trump became president. Um, and we know all these things existed before Trump too. But, you know, that was what I was talking about, where about the sort of new anti-Semitism that I see happening in these last two years, where 
um, there is a real right-wing anti-Semitism that's very power, that's, that has proximity to power. It's Trump's friends. Um, it's, you know, the House Majority Leader. It's, you know, and there's all these, like, anti crazy sort of anti-Semitic tweets and anti-Semitic actions that are happening out in the world that are being done by the right, and they're being weaponized as a weapon against to silence the left. And so those things are like, oh, you know, 11 people are, 11 Jewish people are killed in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. The first thing that happens is people say that then law should be, should be passed against the BDS movement, which is a, a human rights movement for Palestinian rights. And so it's incredibly frustrating. And again, you know, I think that my original title that you were asking before was around like the hypocrisy of, you know, this, this incredible, the weight that's coming down on Ilhan Omar at the same time that actual real anti-Semitism is happening on the right and that she's actually being attacked incredibly Islamic, Islamophobic terms also from the right, but that the attention is on these tweets of hers, which really weren't anti-Semitic at all. They were just calling out human rights violations in Palestine. No, and I appreciate that. I know that's a lot, and I thank you for, like, you know, really digging in, but I, but I guess that's, that's the reality of this, right? It is a lot, you know, digging in deep within, you know, this is not some singular, really one-lane type of issue that doesn't require that very multifaceted, like, how do I focus this type of analysis? Because there is, there are so many different lanes. There is yeah. definitely the attack that constantly happens to her because she is not just critical of Israel, but she's actually a vocal supporter of the boycott, divestment, and sanctions BDS movement. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that unfortunately gets retold by, by, by the mainstream, by pro-Israeli advocate, well, not, I shouldn't say pro-Israeli, pro-Israel advocates. I'm also everyone working on my own language and making sure that when we talk about this, we are very uh, intentional and conscientious mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and not wanting to like impugn upon particular groups of people, et cetera, right? So so forgive folks if, if I slip up, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to do really well with this. <laughs> but um, you have some people who might be pro-Israel who, you know, will, will take and frame being pro-BDS as being anti-Semitic, being against Jewish people. Right. You know, and as many people have noted, um, you know, the idea of boycott, divestment, and sanctions was born out of struggle that we've seen successfully happen in South Africa, for example. I remember as a kid mm-hmm. not being allowed to have Reeboks, and I remember my family did not do my <laughs> and my uncle yeah. instead of Coke, because Coke had not, Coca-Cola had not divested from South Africa. That was my relationship with this concept of divestment. And then the second real memory I have of divest, of, of the idea of boycott, divestment, sanctions, is from an episode of A Different World, where there is a student that has, that decides to give up her scholarship because the company, even though it would, would help mm. working class and she really needs the money, you know, they have exchange students from South Africa who are talking about the struggle there. She's like, I can't take this money. And so there is a yeah. deep history of, 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 of marginalized people across the diaspora of standing together in this way and saying yeah. that behavior is not acceptable. And folks act like, you know, you're only targeting Israel. No one talks about any place else, which also is not true. Can you talk to me a little bit about that deflection that people have and we're yeah. dealing with the actual... I mean, like people say we're only targeting this one place, this one group of people, but I see a lot of folks, including Representative Omar, talk about Saudi Arabia, for example, right? Right. Violation. Right. And the relationship that the United States government has with Saudi Arabia. Um, I see that happening a lot. 
can you just talk to me a little bit about like how that is used as a deflection? Not that it's not a valid mm-hmm. also be looking at these other countries the US has relationships with, but that 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 like that is thrown out there as a as a deflection instead of actually coming to terms with the fact that you can't be vocal about support for Palestinian people without being attacked right. in some instances demonized. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I mean I think that, you know, the first round of attacks on that of Omar were around her saying, you know, that, you know, that APAC has too much power, essentially. <laughs> and that's like, you know, and as far as I'm concerned, I don't, I did not see any anti-Semitism in that because she was, again, she was talking about the power of a lobby and like, you know, the NRA, you know, if you say the NRA has too much power and it's one of the reasons we don't have enough gun control, like that's not seen as something that is discriminatory. It's seen as a statement of fact about our political system and our political system is messed up. And it's like lobbies have a lot of power because they invest a lot of money in organizing into, um, you know, having influence on the political process. And that's what APAC does too. And in fact, you know, APAC itself makes a big deal of the fact that it's not a Jewish organization. It has many, you know, it, it, it works part of a, a, a like a large network of organizations and I think it is important like you were saying I think quite rightly we need to be we all need to be careful about our language and I think it's important to point out that um, pro-Israel forces there's like there's Jewish organizations that are part of the lobby and actually the biggest part of the lobby are Christian evangelicals and the ones who have the most power both as like sheer numbers of population and also in terms of money and also in terms of proximity to power and like who's been elected president of the United States for example you know um, and then there's also the military industrial complex and the money that they get from contracts with um, the Israeli you know to provide military aid to Israel which is written into the, the contracts for military aid that Israel gets from the United States um, so that you know the lobby is, is multifaceted and it's important to note that and APAC itself always tries to note that and so you know Representative Omar hasn't said anything about Jewish people she said things about the actions of the Israeli government and I think that's the, the key thing you need to be able to distinguish when you're talking about something that's anti-semitism or that's not and I think it's extremely dangerous when you say that critiquing Israel or critiquing um, you know that critiquing Israel is itself is anti-Semitic, no state can be above criticism, right? We all, we all need to be able to criticize the United States, we need to be able to criticize Israel, we need to be able to criticize any country in the world. Um, and, and to say that it's anti-Semitic to criticize a country like Israel, being, you know, basically left it off the hook from any of its policies. So I think that's, you know, I think that's a really dangerous game. And it also really, um, can weaken the seriousness with which, with which people take real anti-Semitism. So I think it's, you know, it's dangerous on that level too. I think, you know, this, this like you said, this critique around this sort of like whataboutism, like why aren't people talking about these other people around the world? And, you know, different people take on different struggles all the time. And like you said, like during the anti-apartheid era, people were, uh, you know, fighting for, for the end to apartheid in South Africa. And there were plenty of other struggles around the world that people could be involved in and were involved in, but like sometimes when you get a call from oppressed people and you're responsive to it, like nobody can do all the fights all the time. Um, sometimes you choose your fights and you have reasons to choose your fights. Um, you know, for me as a Jewish person, there's many issues in the world and in this country I care about, but I choose to focus on Israel-Palestine because of the ways that I'm personally connected and feel connected also through my Jewishness. And, you know, I think that's totally legit. So I think that argument of like, why are you talking about this or that? Um, isn't actually really valid. And especially in Omar's case, it's not valid because like you said, she talks also about the Saudis um, and she is, you know, she has a pretty consistent set of values by which she's talking about foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 you, there's this quote you have in here 
anti-Semitism specifically as an expression of white wing, right wing white supremacy has never, this is the quote I was referencing earlier, has never mm -hmm. been proximity to power, at least in my lifetime. And Jewish people from across the political spectrum are rightfully frightened. Charlottesville, what feels like a cascade of graffiti and physical attacks on Jewish people, and above all else, the murderous attack in Pittsburgh are making many of us revise our belief of our safety in this country, especially those of us who are white and who have not been singled out as directly for abuse in recent lived experience. Like I said earlier, that really grabbed me um, mm -hmm. because I, 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 that, that, that really centering it, right? Because as you also pointed out correctly about APAC and how so much of the money and influence, there is this right wing alignment that is evangelical Christian that actually, in fact, is not even, you know, Jewish people grounded in Jewish faith, um, which mm -hmm. the, 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 the attack, the, the criticism of an APAC even more, you know, weird sometimes, for lack of a better term right now. But like this, this concept, this notion that we're really seeing instead of people actually fighting against a very real, deeply entrenched ideology that does not support, does not believe in, in, in people's humanity. We see when we talk about white supremacy, I mean, whether it's Jewish people, black people, you know, immigrants, we see an ideology that does not believe that we should exist in this same space or have the same access. Yeah. I mean, what what do you what do you think about like how we're having so much effort and focus on someone like Ilhan Omar, and we have you know folks like Kevin McCarthy and yeah. Steve King who have really gone for the most part relatively unscathed. I mean, the the House balked at the idea of really pushing any serious measures against Steve King. And Steve King is out here openly supporting white nationalists who don't want any yeah. around. Um, it just seems like it's so much easier to not address the very real underlying issues because of whether it's special interests or whatever the case may be, and to pile on an Ilhan than to actually take on head on, you know, this, this persisting issue of, you know, right wing driven white supremacy that, that is permeating. Totally. Totally. And I think it's like a reflection of where the real power lies and where people are worried about losing power, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think because I one of, one of the pieces, like, I had a paragraph in the piece that ended up getting cut that was actually about something that happened to Ilhan Omar um, before any of this started, that there's a congressman, I think his name's Lee Zellin, and he got some horrible anti-Semitic um, voicemail message on his phone, which is awful. And he did this sort of public tweet at Ilhan Omar saying, like, will you condemn this anti-Semitism and, you know, all, mm -hmm. and all this stuff and and tried to get her to, to join on to this resolution and be as a, as a way to prove that she was not anti-Semitic. And it was like this. And she actually did. She said this is you, this voicemail is horrible, you know, which is true. It was horrible. It wasn't her job to apologize for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, that's the sort of like soft Islamophobia that I think people don't even so pervasive, you know, that right. like, you know, that she's being held accountable for anti-Semitism by this, from this stranger. Like, why does it have anything to do with her whatsoever? And then the fact that he tried to convert it and just say the, the only way that she could prove that she wasn't anti-Semitic was to join onto this resolution, which at the time actually called her out by name, <laughs> you know, and that was going to be against BDS, which is a, again, like a call from Palestinians who are fighting for their freedom for nonviolent means to fight, you know, um, to do boycott, divestment, and sanctions actions against the state, and so to try 
make that be the measure of being anti, not anti-Semitic. To me, that incident is so indicative. Like this, you know, what's happening right now is is also very indicative. But there's something about like that sort of like that underlying Islamophobia that people don't even realize that um, she is facing, especially as the first um, hijab-wearing Muslim woman in Congress. That I think is really, really profound. And you know, and I think that's something that now finally is being challenged because we've never had someone who looks like that in Congress before. And so people are starting to have to deal with it. And I think that's a great thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm kind of ending today feeling really like this is, uh, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's been an awful, 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 awful experience for her, but in some ways it's really forced the conversation in Congress. And from what we saw in the article I looked at right before we got on the phone together, like the Democrats have backed off this resolution that they're offering because the Congressional Black Caucus was really upset and the Progressive Caucus was really upset and they had no idea that there was going to be such a backlash mm-hmm. from their own base about the fact that they were focusing on a, a, you know, on a resolution on anti-Semitism that was clearly aimed at Adilhan Omar when they aren't dealing with anti-Black racism, they aren't dealing with Islamophobia, they aren't dealing with anti-immigrant Mm-hmm. You know, all things that are said from the Congress floor and have and there's a million examples of it and don't yeah. face any censure whatsoever. And so, like, we're looking at a very long needed way overdue, what I hope will be a real shift in the what kind of that's considered acceptable and the kind of language that needs to be called out. Absolutely. Which doesn't mean not calling out Islam. Right. Semitism, of course. It just right. means that, like, let's pay attention to some of these other things that are, like, very seriously structurally embedded in this country. Right. And, and I mean, I mean like, like the thing that is really getting to me is that, you know, watching just even some of the responses. And I was glad to see that as well, that the, the, the pushback. The, I was glad to see the way folks came together to push back, you know, different, mm-hmm. let people sign on letters. And just there was a lot of outpouring of support. Um, there's a she she does a video with um, she has a video and she's talking about how, you know, Representative Rashida Tlaib is like text her like, do you I want to come hug you? Do you need a hug? And she's like, it's OK. I survived war, literally. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. I love you so much. Like, sis, okay, yes, you survived war. You do need a hug sometimes. But I just, I just feel that so much, though, because I think when you are in particular positions, and I'm sure doing the work and leading Jewish Voices for Peace, you, you can maybe relate to this, that when you're in the thick of fighting and your, your, your value proposition is justice and equity, um, you feel like you're at war. And again, not saying this is the same exact thing as being a literal survivor of war, but just that feeling that you're always fighting and struggling, mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing what's right. But it's like, it's okay because this is what is necessary to make it to that next yeah. place that we see that we need to go. And I see her modeling that, you know, from Congress. Yeah. It's an amazing yeah. thing to see. Um, and she's not backing down you know um no she's not you quote quote i was gonna say you quote i was gonna read this quote omar herself is not backing down firing back at critics being opposed to netanyahu who is getting indicted right and 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 has so many other issues that he should not be anyone that anyone is lionizing or holding up um but but being opposed to netanyahu and the occupation is not the same as being anti-semitic i'm grateful to the many jewish allies who have spoken out and said the same we must be willing to combat hate of all kinds while also calling out oppression of all kinds. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that she's not, because this is not a popular stance to take. Everyone knows this. And until recently, well, until her election and Rashida Tlaib's election, being very vocal about Palestinian human rights was, was a sign you were going to lose. 
Um, right. But I think that's the thing, like their collection is a sign of like, we've sort of had a theory of change in our work for a long time, which is that mm-hmm. we're building a, we're building a grassroots move that can, that will eventually will shift power, shift us policy. And that the U S is, is one of the key upholders of Israel's power because we give more, you know, military aid to Israel than any other country in the world. And it's one of the reasons why you can also say like, that's why it's important to speak out against this because all of us as Americans are responsible for it. But the U S gives pretty unlimited, like military diplomatic and economic aid to Israel and always has regardless of what Israel is doing. And, you know, the only thing that can shift that given the powers, the way that the political powers have worked is to build a broad, strong grasp to, to change the public narrative and ultimately shift policy model, just like you said, on the anti-apartheid movement, on the civil rights movement, more recently on the gay marriage movement. Like those are all like broad based movements that have managed to shift policies in relative amounts of times where it seems possible. And so, and we always said that Congress was going to be last and I don't, you know, not to over thing. There's only two members of Congress out of all of them right now that support the BDS movement, but there's two more than there ever were. And so I think, you know what I mean? And it's a reflection of what the, what the base looks like now. And it's a reflection of the fact that Palestinian rights are sort of getting embedded into the progressive agenda. And if you support, you know, the fight for 15, if you support Medicare for all, support, you know, um, movement for black lives, you're going to also support Palestinian rights. So, you know, that's starting to be like a natural association and so i find it to be a very exciting moment and also like you said it's a war like the right wing is ascendant right now in a ways that we most of us can't remember but also the left is ascendant and organized in a way we don't remember and we don't know what's going to happen and like a lot is at stake um and so you know that's what we're in the middle of and so you know that's why it feels everything feels so profound i think i know we have to wrap up but just quickly just what I, I appreciate what you were saying about the theory of change and the work that you have been doing. What what do we see as we're playing out now? How can we help continue to, I guess, expand upon, you know, this point where we do have the rage and really the support and the vocal, you know, outpouring from so many people that we need to shift the way Americans are talking about Israel and, yeah. and human rights and, and, and what is happening. What is what is what does it look like, and how do we continue to expand this dialogue? That's such a good question. I mean, I think part of it is maybe getting over the fear or just discomfort around speaking out about these issues and worrying that you're sort of self-censoring down that people are going to be mad at you and or that you have to know the facts perfectly. I think it is a justice issue. It's actually pretty clear. People to say, "Oh, it's so complicated," but it's not actually. You know what I mean? It's like actually pretty clear. Um, and and I think. To be honest, I think part of it is we have to get used to winning. Like, I think there's, we've had a few examples now in the last few months of thinking, automatically thinking like, oh, we have no power here to shift things. And actually we did, and we do. You know, and so sort of believing in our own collective power and our collective strength and that it's not a waste of time to speak out or have the conversation, whether it's with your elected official or writing a letter to the editor or having the conversation in your own family that's comfortable or whatever, or with your friend or whoever it may be. Um, to like continue to help shift that narrative and just normalize in the you know using normalize in this in the best sense of the word this conversation and the fact that um, it's a completely legitimate position and in fact it's a position that's in line with um, other fights for justice and dignity and freedom. Awesome! Thank you so much for taking some time out to join me today, you guys. This is Thank you work and definitely go check out Jewish Voices for Peace. 
um, and 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 be more present. Like I, I I appreciate what you said about we need to get used to winning and being more comfortable speaking up, um, because it's not always a popular thing to do, but it's often the right thing to do. So thank you. Right. Thank you so much. Yay! That was.